welcome Hoosier fans to this week's edition of Banner Monday, where we begin each week the best way that we know how, and that is by talking IU and Big Ten basketball. Mike DeCourcy will be here to talk about the Big Ten. Ryan Phillips will be here to join me for a mailbag. We will get to that here coming up. Uh, two quick housekeeping notes right off the top. Remember that the Banner Morning episodes are not in this feed anymore. Uh, you want to search for our specific Banner Morning feed wherever you listen to podcasts to get them, or you can go to bannermorning.com for all the subscribe links and to get the latest episode. That's bannermorning.com. And then also, as the holidays approach, keep our sponsors in mind. Uh, SeatGeek, if you want to look for tickets to IU's upcoming bowl game, to any basketball tickets, or just concerts or any live event tickets, go to SeatGeek. Use the promo code ASSEMBLY to get $10 off, and the URL IUTickets.shop will take you directly to the IU basketball listings. And then also, of course, Home Field Apparel, the promo ASSEMBLY20 will give you 20% off your entire order. They've obviously had some Black Friday sales and they do some different flash sales, but that promo code assembly20 will always get you 20% off your entire order. Okay. And now I am pleased to welcome in for his weekly segment from the Big Ten Network, the Sporting News and Fox, one of the hardest working men in college hoops, the venerable Mike DeCourcy, a man who does not want to hear your injury excuses as his Pittsburgh Steelers are somehow still in the playoff <laughs> picture, despite injuries to basically everyone but Mike Tomlin. <laughs> Mike, welcome to the show. <laughs> I'm still, you know, in working condition, so I'm ready to go if they need to get wide out because it seems like they've grabbed everybody else off the street that they possibly They can. actually might. They actually might. And somehow you'd probably get like four catches for 60 yards, too, and be productive. Oh, that maybe. Just, that seems to be what happens. Um, all right, Mike. So let's huge week for the Big Ten this week, obviously, with the, the Big Ten ACC challenge coming up. We're going to talk about that. Let's start with the Hoosiers, Indiana, seven and zero, but with only one of those games against a team ranked higher than, you know, 177. So what, if anything, do you feel like, you know, definitively about this IU team? And what are the biggest questions that you want to get answered over the next few weeks? Well, I think the, the thing I know definitively is that is that they're more together than they have been in the past. They seem to be pulling in the same direction. And a year ago, uh, I, I, at the same point this year, uh, same, same point a year ago, I would have said the same thing uh, because they were coming off a, a series of very good victories. Include, I believe the Marquette game had happened by now. And, uh, so they played well at that point. But they, they at that point, they also were losing a lot of players injury the thing that I can say definitively that I couldn't have said a year ago is they're healthy I mean they haven't been a hundred percent but they've been a, a reasonably close and they don't have uh, seven guys at the end of the bench wearing street clothes uh, or dressing out but then being clearly unavailable to play uh, they have guys playing and I think that makes a significant difference what I don't know is how does all of the things that they do well or have done well, how do they apply to high major competition? And we'll get a definitive answer, not the definitive answer, but we'll get an a definitive answer on Tuesday night at Assembly Hall. Yeah, with that game against Florida State, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit more depth uh, coming up here as well. So you mentioned health, and Indiana obviously is more healthy than last year when it felt like there were two or three guys unavailable pretty much every game for the whole season. The one guy who you know who hasn't been healthy and, and hasn't been available the last few games, and we don't know for sure if he's going to play tomorrow night, but my guess is that he won't, is Rob Finnessy. And that is, you know, obviously a very important injury for Indiana. And you know, we don't 
really have a timetable for when he's going to be back. We don't even really know like all the different ailments that he's dealing with because it sounds like there's a few of them. But if I were to tell you right now that he's not going to be 100% all season and that he's either going to miss games or kind of be a shell of himself in the games that he does play, because that does seem like something that might be on the table now, how does it change your expectation for this IU season? How important is he? I think he's essential uh, to be to them being a look. If you look at the Big Ten, it's played very well. Now, most of the other teams have played multiple games against high major opponents. Uh, Indiana has played zero games against high major opponents. So there's a difference between what the others have established, whether they've been successful or unsuccessful. Minnesota has a poor record, uh, but they have played a lot of difficult teams. Uh, Illinois has played at least some. Uh, uh, and then, of course, that you've played, there are teams like Michigan State that have played multiple teams at, at that level. Uh, so uh, you, you, you look at Indiana and what they're able to accomplish against the opponents that they are, they don't necessarily need to be whole to, to win those games. But then you start to play the level of teams that they're going to have to play when they get in a conference. And, you know, I, I mean, it not only does, does the ACC Big Ten Challenge come up this week, but so does the start of conference play. And they're not – and I don't know if there's a shallow end in the Big Ten. I suspect there is, but they're not diving into that. Uh, uh, they're going to play some significant opponents right from the beginning. So – to have a guy like Rob, who is an excellent three-point shooter, who's a definitive point guard who could be in command of your team, and and who knows how to get the basketball to where it needs to be, it really is essential to them being able to be uh, in the upper half or upper third of the Big Ten. And without that, they're, I'm not sure they have the answer at that position. They finally have answers at all the other positions, uh, but that they, they would – they would probably end up losing games they don't have to lose it, by not having Rob. So, you know, I, I like him. I like, I like the young man, and, and I love the way he plays. And so I'm really hopeful that that scenario turns out to be nothing more than a conversation that we had on a Monday in December. Boy, I, I hope so, too. How, how much criticism do you lay at the feet of Archie Miller for going into this season with just four guards? And to where it really feels like the roster is a bit of a house of cards because of how important Rob is and that there's, you know, and there's no real answer behind him and you still have two scholarships left open. Yeah. You know, I, but I, I will say that uh, although they might have been able to, to round up a grad transfer, they're not easy to recruit when you have guys that, you know, you had Devonte, uh, Al and, and Rob that we're going to play most of the minutes if they're healthy. I mean, if you've got those guys, I mean, there are at those two positions, there are 80 minutes a game and, uh, and those three guys are going to easily gobble up uh, all 80 minutes if they're healthy. I mean, they're, they're not going to leave hardly anything left over uh, for anyone else. And so to get a grad, if there were a grad transfer on the market to get that guy uh, would have been a challenge. I, so I don't blame them for that. I mean, I'm sh I would imagine they went after some guards in last year's class that they didn't get. And they did many of them. They, they definitely yeah. You did. win some, you lose some. You got Trace Jackson Davis. Uh, you know, so you can't complain about their recruiting for last year. Uh, they just didn't get everything they wanted. But you also don't want to spend a scholarship on a guy who we are going to end up. I mean, I don't know if Indiana. I, I think it's pretty clear Indiana doesn't run off guys uh, to this point. 
but uh, if you're, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna bring in a guy that you're gonna end up wishing you could run off, I, I'm not a believer in that. So uh, it, you certainly don't want to be left shorthanded at the position. Uh, but again, it, it's not about whether you have a body to cover that spot. You still have a body in Franklin. Uh, and who, who's going to who's going to be a fine player? He's just not ready to be great yet, uh, and he's probably not ready to, to be a, a real starter at that level. Uh, but so you, it's not about whether or not three guards is enough. As long as those three guys are out there, you still have enough to cover those two positions. It's it's more about what you lose in terms of the quality of a Rob Finnessy, and to try to find another one when you had just recruited a freshman who had proven himself. Uh, in the uh, yeah maybe in the early period you could have brought in a stud which I, I imagine was what they missed out on, and then once the season played out and everybody saw how good Rob was, well I mean you you weren't going to get much uh, success in the spring period for either a, a a late signee or a grad transfer at that position. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the conference because I just glanced at Ken Palm this morning and the Big Ten has four teams in the top ten. And just a couple weeks ago, you know, we were talking about, is this a down year for the Big Ten? Is the Big Ten going to get any big victories? You said to be patient. We've been patient. And the conference has done okay. I mean, Maryland getting some big victories. Michigan has obviously been one of the stories of the country. And then you've got Michigan State and Ohio State up there as well. Uh, so this should make your power rankings kind of fun. I'm assuming it's those four teams in some order, unless, uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe someone else jumps in there. But, yeah, well, how would you rank them? I, Michigan would be my first. Uh, I think that Michigan has accomplished more than any team in the country at this point. And, and so uh, that they have a lot to be excited about there. I really love what Jawan Howard has done since taking over at Michigan. He has not made a wrong move yet. And he came in uh, talking about how much it meant to him. Great. He came in and he looked at what, what did Fred Hoiberg do that some of the other NBA to college guys have done, haven't done, and Fred succeeded where they failed. Well, the first thing he did was he hired a college head coach, a former college head coach, an established guy that everybody knew could do the job, and and, and brought him in because the thing that the NBA guys don't know about co- coaching college isn't coaching basketball. They know how to coach basketball. I mean, that. John Howard knows how to coach basketball. He played in the NBA for 19 years and he coached, I think, for six. He knows how to coach basketball. But running a college program isn't just coaching basketball. And I, I, I don't know the exact number, but if you asked, if you surveyed 100 college coaches and said, okay, what percentage of coaching basketball is your job? And what percentage is recruiting, selling, promoting, et cetera, uh, you know, following your guys' academic, pro- all that other stuff? that you have to do as a college coach that you don't ever have to deal with as an NBA coach. I bet you, I bet you very few would say that college, that, that the actual X's and O's bench practice prep game management, all that. I bet you there, there, you wouldn't find many who would go as high as 40%. I would, I would bet the average would be in the thirties that that would be. and, And that's what, so, so him bringing in Phil Martelli to help him, Learn how to be a college coach. Brilliant move. And then the other thing that I really love about what he's done is he hasn't said, okay, I'm new. I got my philosophy. You guys are all going to bend to my will. I don't care that you were great last year. I don't care that we got five guys who were really high-level contributing players to a team that was 
you know, this close to winning the Big Ten championship. I don't care about any of that. I'm Jawan. I'm going to do it my way. No, he didn't do any of that. He came in and said, okay, you know, this is working pretty well. So, you know, we'll tweak a few things here and there. We'll do a few things differently. Um, but for the most part, we're going to do what worked. You guys are going to do what worked, and we're going to follow that template because it worked. And they kept Saudi Washington on for continuity. That was really important and really smart again. So he's done all of those things. So that's why they're, they are where they are. I can tell you there were other coaches in the country who took over successful programs and started just turning over the tables. Hey, I'm me. I, I don't care what was done before. We're going to do it our way. And it hasn't really worked out as well. So kudos to, to Juan for everything he's done at this point. It, it gets a lot harder Tuesday night. They got to go down to Louisville. Uh, as tough as it was to beat Gonzaga and Carolina on consecutive days, now you got to do it on the road before 24,000 people fired up about the fact that their team is number one in the country. So there's still a lot of challenges out there, but he's done beautifully. Ohio State, which was my number one, I think the first two, three times we did this, uh, you know, I, I have them at number two. They haven't let us down in any way. They've, they've, they've delivered on every big stage. But again, they haven't had as many big stages as Michigan because they didn't play down in Atlantis. Maryland had a really nice run over the weekend. They were never dominant. Uh, until the Marquette game, but they got it done. And then the fourth one, I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with Penn State right now. Michigan State's already dropped two. Uh, one of them was to an, a relatively insignificant uh, Virginia Tech team, uh, although very well coached. I don't expect Virginia Tech to be a top half of the ACC team, even at even though they took out the Spartans. Uh, so I'm going to go with Penn State. They still have they they, they blew their own game uh, that Ole Miss game. They had locked. 13 different ways and still let it get away, but they still have that road Georgetown win on their resume. I don't suspect Penn state's going to hang in. That's this spot for, for very long. I think they still have a chance to be a tournament team and do well, but they, they've earned it to this point. Let's give it to them. So this week, big 10 ACC challenge, but obviously we know some of the headline matchups Duke is playing Michigan state. You know, you mentioned Michigan Louisville, what are what do you expect in those games? Kind of what do you expect overall? What are some of the other matchups that you think are, are the the real important or notable ones to watch out for? Well, if you're a Big Ten fan and Indiana fans, obviously they need this thing to go well. Uh, they don't need it to go as well as they might have a couple of weeks ago. I think a split at this point is going to keep the Big Ten in the top three, top four conferences. Uh, a a win would obviously be. Uh, a, a, a real advantage. And if you look at the matchups, um, there are some real opportunities here. And it, a lot of years we've seen the way the matchups have gone. It, te- it has tended to tilt a little bit toward the ACC, the ACC getting games that were more or less, you know, not can't lose, but shouldn't lose games. Uh, and I think that there are more of those in the Big Ten's favor this time. Uh, I, I think, I mean, Illinois shouldn't lose to Miami at home. That just shouldn't happen. Uh, Maryland shouldn't lose to Notre Dame at home. Notre Dame's better than they were obviously a year ago because they're healthier. But Maryland coming off the weekend that they had shouldn't lose. Uh, so you, you've got a, a, a Penn State against Wake. Penn State shouldn't lose that game. So there are more of those games, I think, on the ledger uh, of the Big Ten. And so that gives you a chance to do well in this deal. And again, if you, if you can split this, you're going to hold a really good standing after 
after we get through the bulk of non-conference play. There are still some games in December that will affect how the Big Ten is perceived. But this week is, I mean, you've got, I think, 14 games, 13, 14 games in this challenge series alone. Uh, so that's a lot of your intra-conference, excuse me, intra-conference competition uh, wrapped up in these next three days. I noticed you didn't say that Indiana shouldn't lose to Florida State in their, in their home game, which, which is fair because Florida State's obviously a very, very good yes. team. I mean, if they had been given uh, a game against Syracuse, say, at home, I mean, that, that would be a shouldn't lose situation for, uh, for, the, for the Hoosiers. And that would be a, a matchup you could have seen in, in this circumstance. They got a little unlucky in, in terms of uh, the matchup, in terms of the glamour. Uh, it, you know, Florida State's better than people think they are. Florida State doesn't have the best brand name, but they're a really good basketball team. I watched their whole Purdue game over the weekend. The good news for the Hoosiers is the Purdue should have won that game about 72 different ways. Purdue handed over uh, a, a ton of turnovers and didn't shoot the basketball that well and still had a lot of opportunities to win. So if Indiana manages the basketball better, again, that would be something that they might do better uh, if they had Rob. But a lot of the turnovers for, for Purdue were perpetrated by players beyond the point guard. The ball would get into the offense and get turned over, not just you know, at the start, but once the, once the offense started to flow or in transition after the point guard gave up the ball, uh, the wing might make a turnover. So uh, a lot of those uh, that could have advantaged Purdue if they hadn't turned the ball over so much, uh, Indiana can manage that. And obviously Florida State will be facing – a hostile crowd. This would be a, the kind of game that a good Indiana crowd could help the Hoosiers win. As I saw, for instance, I think it was two, three years ago. I can't remember the exact time frame. That I guess it would have been uh, the 2016-17 season, uh, that, that Carolina game. I mean, that crowd won that game. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I can't remember the exact year, but I was there, and that was a huge crowd victory for the Hoosiers. Yeah, that was the year Indiana was ranked like third in the country before falling out to the falling down to the NIT. That game was incredible, right? Um, what do you think are the swing games? Like, what are maybe a couple games that, that if you looked at it, you're like, okay, these will be the games, tough matchups. Th- this will swing the the challenge one way or the other. Well, the one I think the Indiana game is one that we would de- definitely say would be a swing. Uh, can Iowa win at Syracuse? Syracuse has been really poor. And Iowa had the, the, the loss to DePaul at home that everybody looked at and said, oh, my gosh, how do you lose that? And how do you get blown out by DePaul? Well, DePaul still hasn't lost. They've beaten some more major conference teams. They haven't beaten any elite teams, but they've beaten some more major conference teams. Iowa went up, and uh, I think it was uh, in Brooklyn. Uh, they beat Texas Tech on a neutral floor. Uh, so that's a, that's a game that you think uh, is a possible win. Uh, Clemson, Minnesota. Again, Minnesota has not played well yet. They haven't played poorly, and they get to play at home. Clemson's not very good, so can you get that one? Uh, the, the game uh, uh, between um, Duke and Michigan State, you know, Michigan State needs to stand up and do something, and Duke is uh, certainly beatable. I mean, uh, uh, they lost last week to Stephen F. Austin, so they're not unassailable. They, they can play better, obviously, than they did in that game, but uh, that's a game that really the Big Ten would need to get to, to leave this uh, challenge feeling uh, really good about itself. 
you know, we've obviously seen from Indiana guys like Justin Smith really jump up their production. We don't know how much to trust it yet because we got to see it against better competition. What other guys around the conference have really made a jump in production or kind of making that leap to the next level, maybe from role player to really good player, even to star level player that you're buying? That you think are, are indicative, Ooh. you know, that, that you think is indicative of a guy who's really ready to kind of stay at that next level into Big Ten play. Well, that's an interesting point. I, you know, I think Jalen Smith. A lot of us had him on our on. Um, I kind of figured that was going to be your answer. <laughs> yeah, preseason All America teams. He was on a lot of preseason All America teams. What I love about what Jalen's done so far this year is that he has not run from anything. I mean, a lot of guys put as the one with a four round one especially a guy with his build and his and, and the, and the, uh, the style of game that he, he can play um, for him to go in and embrace that role has been so admirable. I think that's the most underrated part of what he's done this year. He's played really well, but I have not heard one gripe. If you watch him, his body language is excellent. Uh, there's no, there's no woe is me because he's having to be like, he's going to go into the big 10 and he's going to have to guard Travion Williams say, um, and, and, and but he's not complaining about that. He's just going out and playing. I, I love that about him. I, I really think that's been an admirable thing and something that's much too rare. Uh, I, I will tell you that I absolutely buy Isaiah Livers as the player that he's been. Uh, he was a starter a year ago, even though he didn't start uh, on a team that you know that just didn't have space for him to be a thirty-minute guy. Uh, and that's one of the things that's really worked out well for Michigan is what a really difficult matchup he is. He'll still take maybe one shot a game, maybe two on a bad day that you say, what are you thinking? And I think that he, that's one of the things that, again, I think even though it's, it leads to a bad decision now and then what he's thinking is I'm a baller. I'm a player. I mean, he, he's, he's got great confidence and I, I love that about him for a guy who, has, has not been a starter until his junior year, uh, other than, you know, a, sp- a spot start here and there because somebody was hurt. Uh, I, I love it. I think he's, he's been really special in their, in their great start. Uh, and, you know, I think that uh, I think Iowa's guys, I, I really have been impressed by what I, I got a chance to watch that whole Texas tech game. Uh, and I I've been impressed by what I've seen from them in terms of their, their spirit. I, I didn't think coming off uh, a red shirt year that CJ Frederick would be able to step up and make a shot like he did in that game against Texas A&M with, I guess it was about a minute left. I think it was a two point lead if I remember correctly. And he, and and the shot clock was going down and he sticks an open three. Uh, That's a big pressure shot in the game like that. And he's averaging 11 points a game right now. He's the second leading scorer on the team. That's not their ideal circumstance. Their ideal circumstance is Joe Wieskamp getting his average from 10, 10, almost 11 up until the mid, up into the mid teens. I mean, that's, he's got to, for them to be really good, he's got to be back to that. He's certainly good enough to be a 15, 14, 15 point game scorer. It hasn't quite clicked for him yet. Uh, But I think CJ Frederick can get through this year averaging nine to 11 points. And if he does that, and if, Wieskamp does what I talked about. Iowa can be a factor. Are you going to be taking in any of the Big Ten ACC games in person, or will you be in studio? Uh, no, I, I won't be in studio until December 21st. That's my first uh, oh. 
my first uh, appearance on BTN this year. So uh, I will be actually taking in two of the ACC Big Ten games. Uh, I'm going to see the Indiana-Florida State game. Oh, excellent. Uh, Assembly Hall uh, tomorrow evening. And then Wednesday, I get to see the reigning, not defending, reigning national champs, Virginia, invade uh, uh, invade Mackey Arena. I'm really looking forward to getting a chance to see that game, although I'm, I, I think I'll see a great game, but I don't think I'll see a lot of buckets. No, I mean, I get why you said reigning, but wouldn't it still be appropriate to call Virginia defending? I mean, considering they're always <laughs> yes. defending. If ever there was a reigning <laughs> champion that is defending, that yes. would be them. Good point. Excellent point. Yes. I like that. Well, good. Well, I'm I glad. I that. If that shows up in my league. Uh... <laughs> it's, all, it's all yours. <laughs> um, well, hopefully, hopefully you get a good atmosphere. You know, the games that at Assembly Hall this year haven't been, you know, the atmospheres haven't been great, but, you know, for a lot of different reasons there. So I'm really hoping that, that the fans turn out and that that place is rocking for, for Indiana's first big game of the year because it's a really important one. And it's, well, it uh, should be. I mean, uh, you're, you're seeing, like I said, it's not the glamour team that you might have gotten, and then that might hurt a little I remember, I remember last year when I went down there for the Northwestern game, which was the first league home game, and Northwestern was coming off their tournament run, and everybody still thought they had a chance or they hadn't been banged up a lot yet. Um, and I thought that there would be a good crowd, and, and it didn't happen. It was a, I think there was only about 12 and a half or maybe high 12s for that game, and, and it turned out to be a terrific basketball game uh, that the Hoosiers uh, won at the end. Uh, but uh, I, I think this, you know, it's not Carolina coming in and it's not Duke or whatever, uh, but it's, it's a team that just beat your rival. Uh, so I would think that that would make Hoosiers fans uh, stand up and pay attention. Hey, we're supposed to have a very smart fan base. So I would hope that they would recognize that this is a, a, a really good program and a, a big opportunity for Indiana to get a big win. Well, have fun down there, Mike. And uh, we always appreciate you coming on and we'll look forward to getting your firsthand account uh, next week on Banner Monday. Sounds great, Jared. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Mike. All right. Our weekly segment with Mike DeCourcy talking Indiana basketball and Big Ten basketball. Always a pleasure there. We appreciate Mike coming on. And now it is time to bring on the great walking into a bear's mouth, Ryan Phillips, who's going to be here for the mailbag with me today. Always great to have him on the show. Feels like Ryan hasn't been here in forever. Hey, everybody. Ryan, welcome back. Hey. Got in at uh, midnight last night. Was at the airport at uh, 11 a.m. East Coast time and got in at midnight. So, yeah, <laughs> play that up. By the way, never travel with me. That's the advice for everybody out there. We've talked about this on the show before. I have the worst travel luck in the world, and that reared its ugly head yesterday as well. So. I've missed Sad Violin the last week know, and a half. Right? <laughs> really you can't do it for bottoms. No, what you can do for bottoms is Tuesday night. It's going to be a very late game for everybody on East Coast time. So yes. I'm sure he'll complain about that at some point. Yes, yes, he will. Which, you know, to be fair, as he should. It's going to be really late there. Uh, so, by the way, I didn't mention this before because I didn't want to take too much time away from the segment with Mike DeCourcy. But those of you who are either watching live or watching the video replay, you might notice the sweatshirt that I'm wearing. You see what that says? Nice. This Looks- is the new official assembly call sweatshirt from our friends at Home Field Apparel. Ryan's got the old one. That was the old one from Zazzle. I think we should that sell has- them both, frankly. Cir- we should still sell them both. Yes, but we would like to push people to Home Field. They're our sponsor. Of course. No, I mean, I know I get um, it. Although, but- you know, what we could do is we could ask them to do, if people really like the circular logo sweatshirt, we could have them. Yeah, that's what I'm they- saying. Oh, yeah, yeah. They- yeah. We have a T-shirt with the circle logo. But yes, now we have the sweatshirt. So if you go to homefieldac.com homefieldac.com 
that will take you to the assembly call collection and you will see this hoodie. Now, this is the same material. It's a little bit of a different color, but it's the same material as the Bison logo sweatshirt. So, I mean, it is just oh so comfortable. Remarkably comfortable. I wore it the entire week I was in Connecticut. It was far too cold for me. Yeah, it's, I mean, the sweatshirt is just amazing. It is. Um, so, you can get this. There's also a couple t shirts there. So, check them out. You know, we get a portion of the proceeds if you buy one. Um, it supports our friends at Home Field, obviously. You can use that promo code assembly20. Uh, but yeah, we'd love to see you, uh, you know, wearing these in, in town when we're up there in February. I know I'll be wearing mine, that's for sure, because uh, it'll probably be cold. Uh, all right, Ryan, let's answer some questions. We got some good mailbag questions. I will. Did you get a chance to watch the San Diego State game and the other games while you were away? The San Diego State game? I'm sorry, South Dakota State. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's really San funny because I was tweeting. Chicken sh- yeah. I, I was retweeting a lot of things about SDSU playing Indiana. Everyone's like San Diego State in San Diego. Everyone's like, what? I, yeah, S- San Diego State's not playing Indiana. What are you talking about? But, I know. Uh, yes, You're I here. Did watch- I'm thinking San Diego. I, I got it. You know, yeah. um, uh, I did watch the game. Yeah, I thought. Uh, are your eyes done bleeding yet? Because it was the not- second half was real ugly. I thought the first half there was some good stuff in there. Um, it just felt like the last two games there have been there's been a lot of guys looking tired and uh, taking bad shots. Clearly, when you get tired, you don't have the legs you normally have, and there's just not enough lift on jumpers and things things of that nature. Uh, and um, so that, that, that leads to a lot of things going short, maybe hitting back iron because they flatten out. And, and that's just what I saw. And I, I didn't think there was anybody other than Trace Jackson Davis who played well, uh, who, who stepped Justin up. Justin Smith even, played pretty well. Yeah, Justin Smith did. And and he here's the thing about Justin Smith. Is I feel like we haven't gotten a complete 40 minutes out of him since the beginning of the season. But I feel like in fits and in starts and spurts, we're seeing what we saw in that game more yeah. consistently. We're seeing more good Justin than bad Justin. It's just not lasting an entire game. There's, there's, there's these stretches of 10, 12 minutes where he'll play great and then just kind of falls into the background the rest of the, the rest of the game. Hey, look, if you get that all year out of Justin Smith, you get 10, 12 minutes where he's a dominant player who can help take over a game great i'll take that as long as he's not hurting you that other 25 minutes or whatever um so yeah i i think that he played well in in in, in spurts but look rob finnessy goes out and the turnover problems rear their ugly head that we've seen before Gosh. he needs to be back uh, he just he's a guy who doesn't turn the ball over and and he did a few times when he came in uh, earlier this year, but the thing about that was he was coming. He hadn't been practicing, and when he practices and when he plays and he's in rhythm, he does not turn the ball over and he does not hurt this team. And I also think the offense runs far better with him bringing the ball up than it does with Al Durham or Devonte Green or uh, Armand Franklin. So let's just hope that he can get back quickly. And 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 really, we won't know what this team is. I know people are going to start judging this team quickly. I mean, what is it, 25 straight games against major comp- conference competition coming up to end the season? Well, here's the deal. We're not going to know what they are until they have the full roster available. And if they do have the full roster available, we're not going to know what the, what the potential is. We'll know what they are at that moment, but we won't know the potential until we see Rob Finnessy running this team the way we know he can. Yeah, well said. Uh, okay, let's hit some mailbag questions. Uh, the first one is from Lee. <laughs> I put out the call for mailbag questions, and he said, my question is, why ask this now? We've seen seven games against weak teams. My questions will become much more focused after Tuesday's game with Florida State. Fair enough. <laughs> what are we doing here? You're muted. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, that's fair enough. I mean, it's look, Louisiana Tech, I think, was a legitimate victory. I, I know people on Twitter are saying... 
they're basically zero and zero or whatever. I, Stop I think listening that's, to people on Twitter. That's, yeah, I think that's crap. That's garbage because guess what? Duke lost to a team ranked what like two thirteen. You still got to go out and win the games. Um, does it prove anything? It proves that you won the game you should win, which by the way is a skill a team can have is to go out and win the games they should win. Uh, so I do think there's some value in these games early on. I think there's some value to looking at the way they're playing, look at the way individual people are stepping up. Demisi Anderson is clearly better than we thought he'd be um, in stretches. He's yeah. not consistent, but in I thought, stretches, I thought he was another bright spot in the South Dakota State game. I thought, he yeah, played well. I, I thought he drifted through defensively a little bit, but yeah, offensively, he's showing he can do something. Um, it, you know, we're learning things about this team, regardless of who they're playing. There's stuff to be learned from these games. Are the wins valuable? Hey, according to the committee last year, yes, those wins are all valuable because Indiana played a murderous schedule last year and got left out despite, what was it, like six tier one wins or something like that? Or, or And so this year, watch, the committee will val- will highly value tier one wins and not care how many, the num- the numerical value, the numerical you know number of wins you have. And uh, But last year proved why waste games that you're going to get beat up in or that you're going to risk losing just stack wins that was the even better strategy get off the bubble i mean (laughs) yeah no i mean obviously that's number one but if you're going to be in a tight struggle or you're you're fighting for seeding or whatever i mean if you're you know the difference between a five and a four in a tournament could be enormous you know and 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 so even for that is it going to be the number of wins? Is it going to be the number of quality wins? Is it going to be the strength of schedules? We never know. They say they have these guidelines, but we never know until the day of what they value the most. So uh, last year, Indiana got kicked off the bubble um, despite having a really difficult schedule and, and stacking a lot of good wins and being having positive momentum at the end of the year too. Uh, none of that mattered. So I don't mind them doing this. I know the the real benefit is testing yourself, and that's they're going to start testing themselves on Tuesday. Really, what the NCAA needs to do is just take a composite of Andy's bracket, Delphi Bracketology, and Galen's bracket, and they would get a better tournament every year. Plug it into the way a system they do it right now. Yes, just use those three and let's go. I'm telling you, they they do better. Uh, and then okay. I love when teams that shouldn't have gotten in get in and then win a game or two, and everyone's like, "See, well, yeah. no, it depends on matchup. It has nothing <laughs> that to do with logic, whether they. Oh my god, that logic yeah, angers me. It has me, nothing yeah. to do with it, whether or not they should have gotten in. It has to do with their matchup and who's healthy and who's playing well and all that stuff. Yes. Where they uh, had to travel to, all those. Okay, so from our buddy Ari Schifrun, uh, favorite Juwan Morgan moment at IU, and he, of course, submitted this because Ari had the great opportunity to interview Juwan. Uh, Juwan, obviously, playing for the Jazz now, was up playing against the Pacers, got to do a one-on-one interview with him. That is on the website, assemblycall.com. Uh, good stuff from Juwan. What Thomas is your Bryant one was great. I haven't read the the Juwan one yet. Yeah. Um, gosh, I don't know. if I can't think of There were so many good ones. I can't. I don't know if I can think of one off the top of my head. I mean, just there were so many moments in his freshman year uh, where it was just a little thing here, or a little thing there that was just so big or where he kept popping his shoulder out and kept coming back. And, you know, I mean, just the toughness of that guy. Um, but I'm not sure that once he has one single. Well, the, I mean, the obvious one me. is the the Notre Dame game is junior year in the Crossroads right. Classic when he hit the where game grabbed, winner. Yeah, the, where he hit the game winner off the. Yeah, the, and it, had 34 the, Roberts points. rebound. McRoberts rebound. And, and yeah, he had he 34 and 11. And then obviously the next year against Butler when he went off from three point range because Juwan just right. owned the Crossroads Classic. Yeah. Certainly his triple double. Um, you know that he had last year was a big moment. His great performance. Who did, who did on that senior come night. against? Was that a, uh, that was an early season? Game, yeah, right? it was. It was. It was a cupcake in December, I think. 
and then uh, the great performance against Rutgers. But I'm like you, you know, when I really started thinking about this, I kept drifting back to his freshman year because, you know, things really improved for that team. You know, one of the things that really improved him is when OG and Juwan started getting yep. more minutes because they didn't play much early. And you remember OG had that huge coming out party at Rutgers in that game that we almost lost where he and Max Bielfeld basically <laughs> saved yeah. our bacon. And then Juwan had a three-game stretch. I went back and looked at the game log. You know, he was playing seven minutes here, nine minutes there. He had a three-game stretch at the end of Big Ten play where he was playing 15 minutes, 17 minutes, you know, made a three in every game, was getting rebounds, was, you know, scoring points. He was really, really good during that stretch when Indiana yeah. closed it out to win the Big Ten. Um, and so, and there's not like a specific play, but yeah. I but yeah. I remembered that impact. And then you go back and look at the numbers, and it's like, oh yeah, he was a huge, huge contributor off the bench for that team's run there at the end of Big well, Ten it's play. Well, it's a tribute. It's a tribute to him that there's not one single individual second that we're like, oh, it was definitely this. But yet, we all know how valuable he was to the program for those four years, and and nobody questions that. And the numbers he put up and all that stuff, it's it's because he was consistent. If for virtually his entire career, he was a consistent contributor yeah. who, you know, had big games, had, you know, probably big moments in there, but it wasn't about those. It wasn't a Watford hitting a three that that like Christian Watford, you look at his statistical ranks in Indiana history and they're staggering, especially because we all remember him for one play. You know, I mean, it's 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 not like that with Juwan. You remember the breadth of what he did, not individual moments. I remember the Thomas Bryant dunk against Kentucky. I remember Thomas Bryant going the length of the floor against uh, Minnesota, you know, things like that. Those stand out, but it was more the overall fact that you could always rely on Jawan to do something that, that I think that, you know, or always contribute was what stood out to me about his career. It wasn't an individual moment. Uh, okay, now some questions about this year's group from Mark. I've tried to watch Duran when he is on the floor, and I'm wondering if he is going to be a factor this year. He was struggling with his mobility on defense, but now our new offense seems to pull our bigs outside where they are expected to handle the ball some and move on the perimeter more. It seems that Duran is ill-suited for this new offense. What are your thoughts on whether he will be a factor this year? I have some thoughts on this, but I want to get yours first. Clearly, clearly, whatever's going on with, with Duran, he's, he's struggling physically. I mean, I, I don't think there's any question about that, whether it's, you know, lingering effects from his Achilles or, or, or just a new normal. Yeah. I mean, but you know, he, th- that's not what he looked like before that injury though. No, I mean, it's he not. Move. And, and, and so the, the, the Achilles injury, I think that when he came back last year, people forgot that that can linger for years. And, and you'll frankly, if you come back from an Achilles, you'll likely never be the same. Yeah. I mean, it's look, I mean, Kevin Durant's one of the greatest players on the planet when he's healthy, but that Achilles is going to change things for him. It just is. Kobe Bryant had never had major injuries that he couldn't play through. He tore ligaments in his hands, played through them, tore ligament in his thumb, played through it, had elbow issues, knee issues, whatever. He played through them all. It was, it was staggering how, you know, his pain tolerance. He got that Achilles injury and he was never the same again. And not only that, it caused other injuries because he wasn't relying on his leg, you know, the leg that it happened on anymore. So um, I really think that we need to understand that this isn't Duran not playing hard. This isn't Duran, you know, not being athletically gifted or any of those things. I think it's just the reality of coming back from that devastating an injury. It maybe didn't show up as badly last year because he was playing limited minutes and maybe, you know, the effect of wearing it out, wearing it out, wearing it out. And then 
working out all off season and trying to get ready and all of that stuff just has, has made that even tougher. And, and again, as I said, the Achilles injury, when you come back from an Achilles injury, it can cause other injuries because you're not relying on that leg as much. You know, it's a mental thing, obviously. So I don't know what's going on with Duran. We don't, we're not in that locker room. We don't know, but it has not been encouraging. I'll say that much. Um, he was never a great defender, but he was always able to get on the block and score. And we haven't seen that this year. Um, and he's been struggling with dealing with double teams. And he actually used to be a pretty good passer out of the post. So I don't know if it's a lack of reps or what, um, but he's struggling right now. Does that mean that I think we should bury Duran and never play him? No, I think that this is a guy who is, um, he's a senior. He's probably an integral part of the team behind the scenes. He's always been a good personality on the team. He's always been a hard worker. He's always been a guy who, um, you know, contributes to you know the team ethic and has kind of been a big brother for guys in the past um i think i think that he should be involved and they should try and get him involved as long as they can because look base level that guy's talented offensively he's not showing it right now and he's struggling but he's talented offensively and he can help you at some point yeah you know i said i wasn't gonna get worried about him in november so i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with that even though viscerally i'm a little worried about what i've seen it's december 2nd but well i know so you know, I want to see what he does from here on out. If you tell me that the Duran that we're going to see in January and February is the Duran that we've seen so far, I'm really worried about this Indiana team. Uh, look, I don't think Duran never profiled to be a guy that was going to play a lot of minutes, but he's got to be impactful in the minutes that he's in there. And, you know, I, one thing that's encouraging, you look at the one game that he's played a lot of minutes. In the Troy game, he played 17 minutes. And that game, you know, he was 0 for 4 from the field. So to your point, he is not the kind of automatic player on the block that he's been. No, he used to be able to but do anything with he did. to the best. He did, and we haven't seen it. He had that one, you know, really nice spin move and scored a bucket. I don't even remember who that was against. Maybe North Alabama or somebody. And outside of that, we really just haven't seen the quick feet and the deft touch around the basket. But in that game, you know, he grabbed four rebounds. He had three assists. He had two steals. He had a block. You know, the one thing that is encouraging to me is that you know, his block rate is still 4.7%. His steal rate is 4.1%. To give you an example, some of the best Indiana defenders, if you're over two and two in each one of those, you're a really good disruptive defender. Now, has Deron looked lost on defense at times? Yes. You bring him out in space? Yes, he's going to get lost. But he and Brunk both. But, you know, he's always made up for that somewhat by getting steals, getting blocks, being disruptive because he's, you know, quick. He's got quick hands, even if he's not, you know, fleet of foot. So you're still seeing some of that. But he's got to get better because he has to be a guy that you can dump it down to and count on to get some buckets. Now, you know, you mentioned the passing in Ryan Carraza's film session over inside the hall. You know, he highlighted a great possession where, you know, South Dakota State really was doubling Indiana, really packing it in, which is going to be how teams are going to defend us until Armand Franklin shows that he can step up and make an outside shot. And as long as we're playing a lot of lineups with three non shooters, people are going to pack it in on us. And one of the best possessions we had was Duran handling a double team and making a great pass to Armand, who ended up kicking it over to Demizi for the three. So it was kind of a hockey assist, um, you know, the pass that led to the, to the assist. Those are the things he has to be able to do. So I'm concerned that what we've seen just doesn't look like a guy athletically that looks ready for big time basketball. But hopefully he kind of rounds into that form some, and this isn't the new normal. Because he's got skills and he's got experience that this team really is going to need. And I just, I still think in three, four, five Big Ten games this year, probably Big Ten games on the road, he's going to play a huge role in being a settling presence for an offense that has looked better, but let's remember, is propped up by playing 
the worst combined adjusted efficiency of any schedule in the country. That's what our, you know, that that's what our schedule has been. And so we're going to need guys like him to solidify things once as things get real with the schedule getting tougher. So I'm worried about it, but I'm not going to panic yet. And I think it's really, really important for Indiana that he be a guy you can count on for 10 to 15 solid minutes a game. So, uh, Jeff, what can we expect from Rob on the floor this year? If he is battling injuries, health issues, can we expect the Rob that we really need for this year? Uh, you know, we got another one from Nick. What is the latest from the team on Rob? Can you offer any thoughts as to why this, you know, is it a concussion? Um, you know, and just some of Archie's statements, which have seemed a little bit unclear. You know, it almost it felt like Archie was almost leaving the door open for a medical red shirt, like that Rob won't even come back this year. Um, you know, I don't I feel really like know. Archie has been more negative on injuries than the reality, maybe just to not raise expectations. I hope so. But in, I mean, in the past, we've heard like, oh, we don't know when he's coming back and then he'll suit up and play the next game. You know, I mean, we've yeah, seen what, that a couple times. What, so the, the I, thing, I'm not the, expecting that with Rob. But. No, I agree. The thing with the injury, I from what I've gathered, I don't think it's a concussion. No, I, don't I don't think either. that's the main thing, but I think there's like, I think, you know, the, the bonk that he got on the head, of course, they're going to be worried about that, but I think there's the abdominal injury. There's just some things that have kind of accumulated. I don't things think it's necessarily yeah. one thing. Yeah. And so I don't know. I like, I, I honestly don't know how to answer this question. It would surprise me, but not shock me if he plays tomorrow night, just because, you know, he's like earlier this season he kind of showed up ready to play and it's like oh rob's playing tonight yeah that's and i'm not sure that i would be shocked if he doesn't play till january either like i just i don't know what to expect i guess we don't yeah i mean we really don't know because we're not in those discussions with his doctors and and all that stuff so we really don't be fair we should be i don't know why they're not yeah you know what i'm I'm really tired of being ignored um (laughs) but no and look this team's potential goes much much higher if rob finnessy is healthy I mean, obviously, um, look, I think Al Durham has done a good job. Um, and, 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 you know, this season so far, he's been up and down, but, but I think that he's filling in considering that's not his strength, bring the ball up like that. I think he's done okay. Uh, better than I think that many of us expected getting the ball up the floor. Um, Devonte green is seeming to round into health, but whether he rounds into consistency is yet to be seen. Uh, this team's much better with Rob fantasy running the point. It just is. And, and, uh, do I think that Rob's going to go off and be all big 10 this year? No, but I think that he is a huge piece of what this team does defensively, offensively, and just with the temperament and running the offense and, and getting guys in the right position. I think yeah, that he, he just might has three it. other guys up to go exactly. off and become and, all and big I, 10 this year. And, and I think that he just has that skill of a calming presence on the ball um, who can, who knows the offense and just has that innate ability in basketball IQ to do things. And, if you ignore him, he's going to drive right by you and finish at the rim. He's a phenomenal finisher for his size. And also, he has the ability to step out and hit a three. And, and so there's a lot there that he offers, and this team's potential drops by a tier if if he's not there. I think he's that valuable. And it's again, it's one of those guys who may not put up the counting stats that say, oh, he's a dominant point guard. But for what he provides this team, it's it's a huge lift. All right, I know you have to go soon, so give yeah, me your minutes. well, give me your thoughts on tomorrow night, IU Florida State. What are you expecting? What's your gut feeling? I, you know, I'm surprised. Uh, I, I think that Florida State's a really good team, and anytime I see Leonard Hamilton, uh, my first instinct is I'm really happy that Bunny Colvin from the Wire found an extra, found another gear in his his career, his his post policing career. But uh, I, solid I think the, reference, really. Thank solid you, reference. I appreciate it. It came to me yesterday when I saw a picture of him. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, that's the guy who created Hamsterdam. 
Um, anyway, <laughs> I uh, look, Florida State's been good this year. They have, and, and they're getting better. And and you look at their last couple games, and and you know they beat Tennessee, they beat Purdue. Um, their only loss was a close one to Pitt to open the season, and you kind of you know, two major conference teams playing in the first week of the season, you kind of throw that result out the window. It's, you don't know what you're going to get. Um, I, I've seen a lot of people being very optimistic about IU in this game. Uh, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's at assembly hall and, and that can be a game changer. So the crowd needs to show up and be loud. Um, but they've got some good players. I mean, Devin Vassell's having a good season. Trent Forrest is having a good season. Uh, MJ Walker's having a good season. I mean, they're, they're a team that, that can beat you from the perimeter. All three of those guys are, are perimeter players, and they can beat you from the perimeter. Uh, that's where IU is thin. Uh, IU is going to have to pound the glass. They're playing a very athletic team. They are going to have to just beat them into submission up front to win this game, I think, given how thin IU is and the fact that Rob Fennessey probably isn't going to play. Um, you're probably going to see a lot more... Armand Franklin than you'd want to in a game of this magnitude, given that he's a freshman point guard. Uh, you know, I mean, that you wanted to at the beginning of the season, I will say, because he's played pretty well, uh, considering, you know, all things considered, but he's not going to be a scoring force for you. Um, so I think it's going to be on Al Durham to hit some shots. I think Devontae Green's going to have to be good Devontae and not turn the ball over and run the offense and not make mistakes. That's the key thing. Is you can't give them free possessions. They're too athletic and, and too skilled to give free possessions to. Um, you know what? A guy like Joey Bronx is going to have to step up and not be wandering out on the perimeter defensively and then failing to recover back because they got some quick big guys who can beat him down the lane. Some of those time. ball screen coverages with him are just They're horrible. They're horrible. I mean, they, I mean, they, they can't be coaching it that way, can they? They can't. And if so be. why are they I, I think allowing it's instinctive. it? Then? I think it's instinctive. And I mean, there was a time, I forget which game, I think it was Louisiana Tech, where he opened up to do the high hedge and he went so far out that the guy dribbling instead of running into. To, to Joey just cut to the hoop and had a wide open lane to the hoop and it's just like I can't, can't sometimes I can't figure out if he's going to get popcorn or trying to defend a I, ball screen like I would rather let them shoot the three than overheads like that I absolutely would I mean he hustles, he hustles back like he does it hard you know like it's but not he's an slow, effort thing. so it doesn't know. matter like know. you know it's know. And, and they've got and they've got athletic big guys who will beat him down the lane Joey Brunk cannot do that in this game he just can't he cannot over help like that and over hedge on screens I mean it's gonna they're gonna get killed if he does. they'll get killed in the Big Ten if they do it but this is the first game where you're facing a team that can punish you repeatedly for doing that so this I may honestly, be a game I, where we see a lot of Trace Race and Justin playing together. Yeah, and and I have said that since the beginning since you know what, like three weeks ago, we were texting it and I was saying I think their best post duo is Trace Jackson Davis and Ray Thompson because they can guard and the other guys can't. I mean, to that to that degree, especially when you're hedging and doing all that stuff and getting back down the lane. I mean, Race Thompson, we haven't seen a lot from him the last couple games. And and he he needs to be out there. This team is better when he's on the floor, particularly defensively. The, the I don't issue care about there the is against a great defensive team. Now you're relying on two basically freshmen as your interior guys, and that's where you would hope Joey and Duran would provide some, you know, kind of some balances on the I offensive end. But on a, honestly, buddy, I think we're past calling Trace Jackson Davis a freshman. He no, is but, no, so good yeah, offensively. Okay, he is, but this is his first real test. You're right. So I mean, we don't. You're that's right. what I mean. You don't want to put too much pressure on him. Like we can't just say Trace lead us there. That's not. You know, that's not a recipe for success for this year. I, I agree with you on that. I will say this, that that Trace, I think pressure doesn't bother him. I just the guy is so unfazed by everything. I, I, I agree with your premise, though, is that like you can't just rely on a freshman to beat everybody. That was the the thing with Romeo last year. Romeo Langford needed help. And, and a lot of times on the perimeter, he didn't get it. And, and, you know, he'd get help from Joan Morgan. He'd get help from some of the interior guys, but he was not getting help from his fellow guards. So 
I, I don't know. I will say that uh, I the assembly hall factor makes me optimistic about Indiana's chances that, Hey, you know, teams come into assembly hall and wilt it happens. And it's happened in the ACC, the big 10 ACC challenge before bad Indiana teams have beaten good teams at assembly hall. I mean, it's happened. It was a couple of years ago. They beat North Carolina and they wound up being terrible that year. I mean, it just, it happens. And it's, uh, I, I think that's that's what you got to hope for if you're if you're Indiana is that that crowd is live and Florida State has never seen anything like it and and has a tough time with it. Um, Indiana's guards got to step up though because that's a really good perimeter trio that's having a great season so far. And then you got to pound the glass and you got to to not turn the ball over. Those are the factors for me: is out rebounding an athletic team uh, by a lot, getting off getting on the glass offensively, getting Trace set up inside. And, and let him go to work. And then I think the other thing is just reducing turnovers. I think that's the recipe for the whole season, really. And I think it holds true in this game. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, I have some thoughts on this, but I know that you need to go. So do you want to do in the middle of my work day? You are in the middle of your work day. We, we appreciate <laughs> you carving out some time for us. Of course, man, always love you guys. I'll see you guys tomorrow after the game. Yep. All right. See you, man. Um, yeah. You know, I, I largely agree with a lot of what Ryan said. I, I, I think that this game is going to come down to turnovers obviously and that's it's it almost seems simplistic to say that but it's clear I mean they turned Purdue over 24 times they were forcing turnovers on 26 percent of opponent possessions and it is easy to look at Indiana and criticize the turnovers over the last 60 minutes of basketball and fair enough because Indiana's turned it over on 25 plus percent of their possessions over that time but for the season, Indiana's turning it over on 18% of their possessions. You know, the turnovers have really been an issue lately. And so my hope is that it's just a team that was kind of bored with the competition level and is ready to kind of kick that back up. But not having Rob is going to hurt because, you know, Devontae is going to turn it over some. It's just part of it. You know, Armand is probably going to turn it over some because he's a freshman playing a great defense. So, you know, I think Al really needs to be a steadying presence with the basketball, help smooth some of that out, take care of some of those possessions. And then it's going to be about rebounding. You know, Indiana is 21st in the country in offensive rebounding percentage. They are 10th in the country and not allowing their opponents to get on the offensive glass. And this is where I think Indiana could have an advantage here. You know, Florida State's very good on the offensive glass. So that's going to be strength on strength. And I think, you know, who wins that battle is going to be very important. For Indiana, Florida State is giving up offensive rebounds on 31% of possessions. That is 263rd in the country. There's an opportunity there. Indiana's you know, with their excellent offensive rebounding, if they can turn some misses into buckets, that is a place to get six, eight, ten hidden points that can really, really help. And, you know, it comes back to that shot volume that we've talked about. You know, reduce the turnovers to save possessions, get the offensive rebounds to create more shot opportunities. That will help. You know, another reason for optimism is when we have seen Indiana not play well at home and lose some of these games at home, it's because opposing teams have come in been really comfortable and made threes. Well, this Florida State team, for all of their strengths, they are not a very good three-point shooting team. They're shooting 31.6% from downtown on the year. Against Purdue, they were one for 17 from downtown. Might look at that and said they're due for some positive regression, and maybe so, You know, but even if they just shoot their average, that's obviously not going to be very good. And you know, so this Indiana team, not a high-volume three-point shooting team, but Indiana has made a pretty solid percentage, you know, hitting almost 35% of their threes. So that's another place where if Indiana can have the advantage there, neither team going to shoot a lot of them. But if Indiana can make a couple more threes than Florida State does, these are places where you can find at the margins 
you know, the spots to to get you the points that you need to win the game. So, you know, those those are the areas that I think Indiana really needs to take advantage of. But I would be lying to you if I told you that I felt confident. Um, I, I I don't. I'm excited for this game. I can't wait to see how we play. I hope it's a great atmosphere. It's going to be a really fun game. But I've had this kind of nagging feeling that there's going to be a an adjustment period for this team going up in competition level especially just the size and the speed uh, and the defensive level of Florida State. Because as I mentioned, Indiana has played the, the combined adjusted defensive efficiency of Indiana's opponents in terms of ranking is 353rd in the country. No team has faced worse collective defenses than Indiana. How much of our offensive improvement is because of that? How much of it is because of schematic improvements, player improvements? I, I certainly think some of it is. Like I think this team is better offensively than I thought independent of the competition level, but that's certainly baked in there somewhere. And so I don't know how much of it, but the fact that Rob probably isn't going to be out there, we only have those three guards and we don't have kind of the catalyst and settling influence for the offense, it makes me nervous against this Florida State team that has already, you know, won a game on the road against Florida. Um, that that makes me nervous. And, you know, having to rely on a lot of young guys in this game Certainly a game Indiana can win. The Ken Palm prediction is 70-69 to 69 Indiana. So I don't want to paint too pessimistic of a picture. Um, and, and hopefully it's some, you know, some recency bias from just kind of seeing how they played in uh, the second half of that Louisiana Tech game, seeing the malaise of the South Dakota State game. I'm fully acknowledging that there could be these biases in there that are making me feel this way. I just know, you guys know me, I'm usually pretty optimistic about these things. I've just got a bad feeling about this one because it just I think Rob is so important to this team and it I struggle to see the paths to beat good teams without Rob out there. So what I would like to see is for Indiana to win this game and show that hey, there's a different path and we can be okay. Like obviously we're gonna be a lot better with Rob, but even without him, we can win because this, that, and this. And I struggle to see it. Doesn't mean it's not there. I can't wait to watch the game to see it all unfold and see if it is there. But that's just me kind of giving you my just an honest uh, reflection of what my gut feeling is telling me right now. So I'd love to know what you think. Send me a tweet, you know, at assembly call. Let me know what you think about this game uh, and how you're feeling about it. I'm just I'm excited. November's in the rear view. We're seven and zero. That's what we had to do. Now let's see what this team's made of. It's going to be fun. Well. I guess it depends on your definition of fun. It depends on how the game goes, but it's it's going to be fun to watch the game certainly, and, and hopefully Indiana will be uh will be ready for prime time here. All right, uh, that is going to wrap it up for us on this edition of Banner Monday. If you want to see us do the show live, of course, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights, Monday afternoons, and after every IU game. Don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to six six eight six six to join our free email newsletter. And we thank our listener, Bob Thompson, for producing a lot of the music that you hear on the show. And as always, we thank you for listening. So we will talk to you tomorrow night as late as we have to be there for the IU Florida State postgame. Until then. Take it from me, Christian Wofford. Keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. Go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right. I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Pop some new cascade in your dishwasher with 50% more cleaning power. 50% more cleaning power. New cascade does it better. 50% more cleaning power. New cascade does it cleaner. Switch to new cascade platinum with 50% more cleaning power. No need to rinse your dishes, and it's even strong enough for the quick wash cycle. 
New Cascade Platinum. Pop some New Cascade in your dishwasher with 50% more cleaning power. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five.